Okay, so every blessing to you all. It's currently raining and it's somewhat blustery. Feels like the autumn. But uh, you know me, if I start something, I try to complete it. Well, as you may know by now, I've been recording Revelation over the last few weeks. And when it comes to reading scripture, when it comes to really understanding scripture, for me anyway, I have to try and read whatever book I'm currently uh, teaching in one sitting. Sometimes you can sit down and read a chapter or two, close it, do something else and come back to it. But to really grasp the meaning of scripture, it's helpful to read it, if you can, of course, in one sitting. Well, I was able to put a couple of hours aside earlier today and sit down and read all of Revelation, all 22 chapters. And like so many books in the Word of God, there's always something that I miss. There's always something which I didn't quite see clearly before. And if I need to read it again and again and make notes and try and grasp the deeper meaning of what I'm reading. So it's a great blessing for me, a great opportunity to, like I say, put a couple of hours aside and read through Revelation and also as the Apocalypse. And what I am conscious of is how many people ridicule and rubbish the book of Revelation. There was a guy in the UK some years ago called Tony Robinson. He is a actor slash excavationist and he's done many TV programs and dramas. Never particularly liked the guy much. And he was commissioned by one of the TV channels in this country to do a program on Revelation. And I watched the first 20 minutes or so and I was disgusted. Not only at his ignorance, but at his attacks against Revelation. He would remark that the writer of Revelation was hallucinating, that somehow the writer of Revelation was taking magic mushrooms. Absolute blasphemy, absolute ignorance. And of course, you know perfectly well that had he been commissioned to take a look at the Quran, he wouldn't have dared made similar statements. But of course, as you know, we are living in a post-Christian generation and scripture is fair game. In fact, Christ will be slandered, smeared, and very much slandered. And yet when we look at the falsehoods around the world, when we look at other so-called holy books or holy men, they rarely, if ever, get the same level of scrutiny. And yet, we are of course living in the last days, 
Daniel tells us that before the Lord returns. Many will be coming and going, sin will increase, and how only the righteous will know what is going on. Now the rain is really coming down, and yet the wind has ceased. Typical British weather, you go from one extreme to another. So, after battling 20 minutes of Robinson's derogatory and biased and arrogant uh, documentary about a book that he doesn't really understand, I had to switch it off. Well, unfortunately, he's like many people. He not only is ignorant, but he is willfully ignorant. In fact, he's like most of those in the church. They ridicule Revelation and they neglect Genesis. And here's the truth of the matter. If you don't take Genesis literally, and I'm thinking about the first 11 chapters, then of course you can't take Revelation literally. And if you can't take Revelation literally, and if you can't take Genesis literally, then where do you start? Do you come in Genesis 12? Or Exodus 2? Or Leviticus 4? I mean, where do you come in? What these people do, these heretics, these apostates, is they pick and choose what they want. Like a pick and mix. You go into a supermarket, and you think to yourself, that looks nice, I'll have that. Uh, that looks nice, I'll have some of that. But I'll pass on that, and I'll pass on that. Well, you can't pick and choose, my friends, when it comes to the Word of God. You either take it all, or you don't take it at all. But I'll tell you something, when I first got saved, I was greatly blessed by reading the book of Revelation. And when I first read that book, I shook, I trembled. I knew that what I was reading was absolutely life-changing, dynamite. I knew that there was nothing like it anywhere else in the scripture. And I wasn't going to spiritualize it. I was and continue to take it uh, literally. Well, here I am many years later, absolutely thrilled and overwhelmed and humbled to be now teaching through the last book in the Bible. And I'll tell you something, the more I read it, the less I understand it. And yet, I believe it nevertheless. That book is put together in a way that no human mind could put it together. The late fictitious character Sherlock Holmes, or his opponent Moriarty, both penned by the writer Conan Doyle, were considered to be the best brains in Britain during the time of Queen Victoria. And of course, both are fictitious characters. And yet, I put it to you today that those two combined couldn't explain one-fifth of the book of Revelation to you if their lives depended upon it. But of course, you know that until you are born again, not only is Revelation a closed book to you, but the entire Bible is a closed book to you. In fact, until you are saved, the Word of God isn't even for you. It's a holy book, and therefore you have to be made holy to even get a basic understanding of its root meaning. 
Well, after two and a half hours or thereabouts, reading through Revelation, I got many glimpses of the Lord in glory. And I'll tell you something, we're not worthy of heaven. We are not worthy to even be called Christians. We're not worthy to even untie the Lord's shoes or give him a cup of water. Scripture tells us how the cherubims in heaven cover their eyes when they're in the presence of the Lord. They have six wings and I think it's either uh, Ezekiel or Isaiah tells us that because they have six wings they are a able to fly, b they are able to cover their eyes when they are in the presence of the Lord because he is holy and they are not. And on top of that the rest of their wings covers parts of their body. That gives you an idea surely as to what it's like to stand in the presence of an all-holy God and yet we talk about this as saved people. We try and understand this as saved people. We sing about this as saved people and yet we don't really understand just what it's like in heaven. And I thought to myself after finishing Revelation today that when I arrive in glory how it's going to feel. And I thought to myself Am I going to fit in, in heaven? Will they turn around and say, unclean, unclean, get out? Will they take a look at me and say, what are you doing here? You don't belong in here. This is a place for holy people. This is a place for the redeemed. This is a place for the Lord's people. You know, I've been saved 14 years and I was very blessed to get salvation down when I first became a Christian. And I know that salvation is a free gift. We're told that several times in the Word of God. And I know that we are saved and kept saved by Christ's blood being imputed to us. When you believe in the Lord, you get his righteousness. And your unrighteousness is given to the Lord. When he hung on the cross, he would say, it is finished, it's done, mission accomplished take your sins and leave them in hell literally and he took his blood into the holy of holies third heaven and placed them there and I mean literally and yet in spite of all of that I still know that in me in my DNA in my deeper self I'm no good never have been never will be when the Lord made the devils he created one called uh, Lucifer. Of course, they were made angels, cherubims, and something went wrong. And the top angel, called Lucifer, meaning light bearer, rebelled. And he fell, and according to Revelation chapter 12, he took a third of the angels with him. It's very hard to understand what caused such a fall and that term, how the mighty fall, is very relevant when it comes to trying to understand what caused Satan, also known as Lucifer, to fall. You see, he saw everything. And not only did he see everything, he was above the throne. He was the fifth cherub, the anointed one. And yet in spite of all that, in spite of seeing what he saw, 
and experiencing what he experienced, he rebelled. And like I say, he would take a, th uh, a third of the angels with him. One third of the angels. And it goes back to what I said last time concerning Adam and Eve. They had it all. They were able to name the animals. They were able to have fellowship. And I mean intimate fellowship with the Lord. They were able to see him. And they probably saw a Christophany. Uh, that being Jesus Christ before the incarnation. And yet, in spite of all that, they still fell. And not only would they fall, and they did, but on top of that, they would blame each other. You see, it goes back to what I've been saying all along, that we are no good before we get saved, even after we are saved. And that's why, if you've got any sense, you have to understand that the only way for the Lord to get any glory is to A, give you grace, and B, to keep you saved through grace. Because if you could lose your salvation, you would. That's all there is to it. If you could lose your salvation, mark my words, you would lose your salvation. When I read Revelation, I'm awestruck. I'm completely shocked, almost stunned, at just how holy such a place is. And I know that I'm saved, and yet sometimes I think to myself, am I going to fit in in that place we call heaven? Am I going to belong there? How am I going to get on with Daniel and John, Peter and Paul? How am I going to get on with those that were murdered for their faith, tortured to death? How am I going to look those people in the eyes and say, nice to meet you, Praise the Lord, we are all here. When my life compared to theirs doesn't even worth talking about. I know that we live in different generations and I know that what Abraham was asked to do wasn't the same as what Jacob was asked to do, wasn't the same as what Jonah was asked to do, wasn't the same as what Joseph, the Lord's stepfather, was asked to do. I understand that. I know that no two saved people are the same. And I know that the Lord doesn't ask two saved people to do the same. He knows that we can't achieve the same goals or we can't carry out the same type of ministry. I understand that. And yet, as I say, the more I think about heaven and the more I look at the throne of the Lord and the 24 elders and the 144,000 who, when they arrive in glory, sing a song that only they know the words to. They are a special class of people. And therefore those of us which are redeemed are going to watch the 144,000 singing a song to the Lamb, which only they know the words to. And that shows me that in glory there are different levels of privileges. We know there are different rewards. And we know that there may be different levels of heaven as well, much like there are different levels of hell. But I'll tell you something, if you want to be humbled, if you want to be brought down to a level of humility, read the scripture. If you can, sit down and read Revelation in one sitting. And read it slowly, and you will see the Lamb. 
opening up the first of seven seals and he sends the four horsemen of the apocalypse to punish this world people say Mikamal Jesus would he do such a thing yes he would do such a thing this is the Lamb of God the son of David preparing to come back and claim his crown claim his throne he came the first time as the suffering servant the son of Joseph and they spat in his face they put a crown of thorns on his head the Jews conspired with the Gentiles to crucify him and he knew of course that was what awaited him and he would tell us in the Gospel of John how he had power to lay his life down and take it up again so we know that he wasn't somehow taken by surprise and we know that he wasn't forced to come he volunteered to come so we can take great joy in the fact that when he came he came because he wanted to come he knew that if he didn't come nobody could be saved but at the second coming he comes as a son of David and he comes to deal with those that have rejected him that have despised his children that have killed his children and he comes back with his armies and he comes back with a sword and I mean a literal sword and I think this that when he comes back as the son of David who publicly decapitated Goliath and Goliath is a picture of the Antichrist I think Christ will do the same to his enemies and I think he will allow that to be televised much like you see concerning the two witnesses who are killed by the Antichrist and quite possibly beheaded and that gets televised Revelation chapter 11 and the whole world gets to see that very gruesome and yet we live in a generation that is kind of used to this I watch the news regularly and I've seen too many horror movies before I got saved I can't watch them anymore but before I was saved I watched far too many and I guess I'm now desensitized to such pictures I can go to the news and I can see what's going on in Syria and other parts of the Middle East and it doesn't touch me anymore I'm immune to it and that's pretty sad well I think I'm pretty typical of most people of my generation especially and yet when the two witnesses are murdered decapitated that'll be televised for the world to see and they will take great satisfaction at watching that probably filmed live as well you can't really appreciate that can you and yet when you sin against an eternal God an all holy God a God that has sent prophets apostles evangelists a God that has sent men and women over the past 3500 years that's right 3500 years if not more and you continue to sin against him you continue to ignore what he wants you to see and you continue to sin against him and defile your conscience mock his servants rubbish his word in fact I believe 
there are around 19 countries that have banned the Bible. That's right, 19 countries. And yet some of those countries have chemical weapons. They are more fearful of the Word of God. And that shows me that the Word of God is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. The Word of God can heal, and the Word of God can hurt. And yet churches continue to neglect the book of Revelation. And for those that do read it, they nearly always spiritualize it. And yet it's true, there are many spiritual elements to Revelation. And yet those uh, symbols, that spiritual side of Revelation, can very easily be deciphered if you take the time to read it and make notes. When I read any book of the Bible, and I'm about to teach that particular book, I will, as I say, read the entire book if I can in one sitting. But on top of that, I will make notes. And I will try and cross-reference verses and, and chapters to get a fuller picture. And there's a part of scripture which speaks about the seven spirits before the throne of the Lord. And I read that, and I read that, and I read that, and I thought, what exactly are these seven spirits? And most of my commentaries tell me that that term is for the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. But that doesn't work for me because the Holy Spirit is one, it's not seven. At most, you could get three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but you can't get seven. And most of my reference Bibles take me to Isaiah 11, verse two. So I went to Isaiah, 11 verse 2, and I thought, there's not seven Holy Spirits here, there aren't seven parts to the Holy Ghost, to the Holy Spirit. I think for memory there are around four, no more than five. So I went to 1 Corinthians, and I counted the gifts of the Spirit, and again, I don't get seven, I get around five, no more than six. So I went to Galatians, and I thought maybe the fruit of the Spirit may give me seven, read those and I got nine. So I thought to myself, these commentaries are no help to me. So I went to Revelation again and I thought, what is the meaning to the seven spirits? And it came to me that the seven spirits are seven angels. And these seven angels have seven trumpets. And these seven angels have seven lampstands or lampshades, lights if you will. And these angels represent churches, and those uh, lights, those lamps, represent each church shining a different level of light. No two churches are going to produce the same amount of light, the same amount of holiness. The Word of God says, let your light so shine before men, that your Father which is in heaven may be glorified. So those angels in heaven are pictured holding on the one hand seven trumpets and on the other hand seven candlesticks or lampstands lights if you will you know John does a great job when it comes to explaining to us what he is exactly seeing and those angels represent the churches in heaven so if you are two or three and you meet regularly to 
break bread, read the word of God, and worship the Lord. When you have an angel in heaven who, in some way that I don't quite understand, represents what you do on the earth. People say that we have a guardian angel. Well, maybe. And if we have a guardian angel, he is in heaven, not on the earth. And he can behold the Father's face. Again, it's very humbling and yet very mystical. And every time you do wrong, that angel who has been assigned to you has to behold the Father's face. And he sees what I don't want to really try and imagine, but he will see sadness, he will see disappointment. And of course we fail him far too often. And yet, at the same time, when we do right, when we overcome the flesh, when we achieve great things for him, he is glorified, he's very pleased. Well, that angel, like I say, is in heaven, not on earth, and he has been assigned to a church which will consist of two or three people. Throughout Revelation, there are many accounts of angels being dispatched to punish the earth. And there's one scripture in Revelation where it speaks about the angels uh, coming down to earth. And I thought to myself, I wonder if those angels are sent to the earth to prepare the Lord's return. You see, once the rapture's been and gone, in many ways their work is done. We are now in heaven, we are with the Lord, and he is presented as the Lamb of God, and he is presented as having white hair and a white beard and eyes like fire, feet like brass, and he's wearing a golden girdle around his chest area, a picture of the Old Testament high priest and also a picture of our mediator. And the 24 elders are very busy worshiping the Lord, glorifying him, as are at least six cherubims. In fact, let me correct myself, I think there's four cherubims. There were five, Satan of course was the fifth who fell. So you've got four cherubims, which are a higher form of angel, and they have six wings. And like I say, two of those wings cover their eyes, two are for flying, and two are to cover other parts of their body. They are in the presence of holiness. And that's why it grieves me when I see people on television or I hear people in the street blaspheming the Lord, using his name as a cuss word. And it's even more painful when you hear children doing it as well. They do it because their parents do it. Such people are ignorant of Almighty God. And if the truth be known, they are a moment from death. They are one moment from eternal death. They are a moment from everlasting torture. You see, when God made man, he made man in his own image, and he made man for eternal fellowship. Man wasn't made to go to hell and suffer forever. The Word of God says how hell was made for the devil and his angels. And God Almighty has done all that he can to redeem mankind. He's given us a conscience, he's given us creation, he's given us preachers and prophets, he's given us the Word of God. 
and yet in spite of all that mankind for the most part has no time for the Lord mankind for the most part hates the Lord and mankind for the most part hates his children and that's why so many Christians are being tortured mutilated raped and murdered all over the world and have done for the last 2,000 years but a day is coming when the Lord's people are going to be given glorified bodies and they will rule and reign with the Lord for 1,000 years on top of that they will go into glory with the Lord and they will see things they will experience things they will be the recipients of things which for most of us we will have no understanding of whatsoever you see most people get saved by the skin of their teeth and most people are going to arrive in eternity with probably nothing to show for their lives whatsoever and I've made the case over the last few walking talking uh, sermons that when I arrive in eternity I'm not looking forward to meet the Lord and have to give an account of myself to him but it's mandatory I can't avoid it and if I get one crown or two crowns praise the Lord but I'm not sure I'm going to get any crowns whatsoever I'll be just happy and glad to hear him say well done thou good and faithful servant enter thou into the joy of thy Lord that's good enough for me that's good enough for me and I know that every tear will be wiped away and I know that when I stand in the presence of the eternal one who died for me all will be changed all of my memories will be erased all of my failures and sins will be completely eradicated of course that took place uh, scripturally speaking on the cross when Christ died for my sins but you see we still live in time and we still have to put up with our memories or our bodies what we do in the flesh before we get saved and after we get saved stays with us that stigma that shame stays with us and people try and do religion to alleviate it they try and do uh, drinking drugs they try and do uh, fleshly activities like sport to alleviate it they try and watch television but it doesn't work only through much prayer and fasting and the Word of God can you really get closure can you really get that perfect peace which passes all understanding and yet even then there's always something deep down in your DNA which tells you you're no good which tells you that you deserve to go to hell and that can haunt you if you're not careful and it can be part of your old nature and it can also be part of Satan trying to put doubt in your mind trying to get your mind off him trying to get your eyes off the Lord and onto him and like I said last time if you spend time looking at yourself uh, or looking at other people you're going to do more harm than good because the truth be known not only are you a mess but those all around you are as well one of the biggest mistakes we make as saved people is we compare ourselves to other people and you can't do that when I look at Daniel I see a flawless man almost perfect almost sinless not quite of course but I see an almost perfect man 
And when I see Joseph, I see somebody else who is almost flawless, almost perfect. And those two men can tear you up if you are not living like you should. And you think to yourself, here are two men who put the flesh to death, who live for the Lord and were great examples. And I mean great examples. And yet you look at someone like David and Solomon and you see nothing but disaster, sin. And their angels, if they have angels in heaven, I'm not sure they do. I think the, the, I think the angels are specifically uh, ordained for the church. But if, if those two great patriarchs, both saved of course, if they had angels in heaven, what they must have seen from the Father every time those, uh, those two men sinned would send shivers down your spine. And it breaks you up when you take a look at these people. It breaks you up when you look at Isaiah, who we are told was put in a tree trunk and uh, sawn in half alive. Some of the best Christians, some of the best Jews that loved the Lord had terrible deaths, never wavered, never surrendered, stayed faithful unto the death, and as a result, are going to get great crowns, great rewards, when they go into glory. You see, this is what it comes down to. Life is very brief. What does James say? Our life is like a vapour. Here today, gone tomorrow. Slight abbreviation, but James is simply telling us that life is very brief and if we're not careful, we can waste our lives. And that's why when I look at the scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, the Gospels, I see many great men and women paying a huge price to follow the Lord, to live for him, to be identified with him. And I look at myself and those in the church age and many times they don't compare. Many times I think to myself how pitiful we are, how much of a failure we are. So I'm going to try and bring this message to an end. Not sure what I'm going to call it yet. But what I will say as I take a slightly different route home. If you're not saved, my friends, you need to be saved because you've got no chance whatsoever of being received in glory. In your current state, you are unclean. In your current state, you are an enemy of the Lord. And in your current state, you are very much on the cusp of going into eternity. And I can say this honestly that I have no enemies. And yet, if I did, I wouldn't wish my worst enemy to perish and suffer eternity. If you come to the Lord, if you get saved, he will save you. He will give you a new heart. He will clean you up and he will take many of your old interests and vices and weaknesses and give you new things to enjoy. At the same time, you will still have your old nature. And I've mentioned this many times over the years. And I have to mention it again because what we don't want to do is teach a sinless uh, 
perfection message that somehow when you get saved you are to be sinless you must be realistic you need to understand that although you have been declared not guilty although you have been justified and sanctified and adopted into the Lord's family you are still capable of resurrecting the old man the old woman and that happens when you hit problems when you struggle to uh, get victory or you struggle to understand what you are going through and you start to go into neutral which will lead into losing control of your vessel being your body of course which will result in you hitting the buffers and crashing in a spiritual sense your flesh is no good it never has been and it never will be Adam and Eve were made in a perfect environment they were able to see things and experience things that we haven't and probably never will until we get to glory and yet in spite of that they still fell and they still messed up and on top of that when they were challenged they wouldn't come clean they passed the buck which shows what man at his best state is capable of doing Lucifer this great cherub this great angelic creation very powerful decided to do his own thing decided to go out on his own as they say and as a result he fell and took a third of the angels with him and as a result has ruined untold numbers of people far more than you can probably ever imagine so get saved get under the blood get into the scripture read it obey it memorize it get used to having a good prayer life fast if you can exercise as and when you can and share the gospel as and when you can as well you hear one moment and you're gone the next the last thing you want to do is arrive in eternity completely ill-prepared unprepared indifferent and face an all-holy God in fact there's an account in the Gospel of Matthew where man arrives in the Lord's presence and he says to this man how did you get here you're not wearing a wedding garment which of course is a picture of Christ's imputation and this man could be a Muslim could be a Catholic could be a Jew says nothing in response he's speechless in fact he knows that he's in trouble major trouble it's like arriving at the airport without your passport and your plane's about to take off you spent all year saving up for it and they say to you no passport no plane no holiday you're going nowhere and you know that you can't go back get your passport and then return to the airport in time and at that awful moment you realize that you've just lost your flight you've just lost thousands of pounds perhaps that one-off holiday and you feel sick to the stomach what times that by a million and you get some idea as to what it's gonna be like when you arrive in eternity and you've got no garment you've got no imputation you've got no savior you are completely alone and just seconds from eternal death if the angels quake in the Lord's presence and they do if the 24 elders quake 
in the Lord's presence and they do if the four cherubims quake in the Lord's presence and they do why aren't you doing it? why don't you tremble at the name of the Lord? why don't you tremble when you read his word? examine yourself make sure you are in the faith make sure you are saved and if you are saved praise the Lord thank him for it worship him give him the glory that he deserves and if you're not saved get saved and I'll give you one final thought and I will close every day 24 hours a day 150,000 people die that's right 150,000 people die that's around 8,000 an hour most lost most often to eternity why put yourself through it why risk your soul life is brief eternity is forever so hopefully this has been of some help to you and you want me to pray for you i will do but above all you need to help yourself you need to help yourself you need to take the savior's hand he will take yours and he will get you saved and he will keep you saved so that's all the lord bless you all and maranatha